Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I am this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me is Dixie Cochran. Good morning. And Matthew Duncans. Yeah, hi. <laughs> or, or, hello. <laughs> hello. Um, we have been talking about Duolingo for the past hour <laughs> before we started recording. Yeah, our, our, our off-mic conversations are interesting, but of no relation to Onyx Path usually. Right. Uh, so we don't record them, but maybe we should do like a bonus episode sometime of just like, this is what we talked about before the episode, uh, because all of us are taking languages on Duolingo right now, um, and it's 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 fun. We're having a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Dixie and I are are working on German, and Matthew's working on Dutch right now. Danish. Danish. Sorry. That's all wow. right. I'll get to the Dutch <laughs> during my North European invasion plan. Right. You, uh, see, you, you, you had a plan. I, I, I blurred them together in my head. So. Well, I was initially going to head east. Uh, my plan was to invade Europe via Denmark. Uh, okay. Revenge for the Vikings. <laughs> move, move south into Germany and then get progressively into murkier language territory via Poland and then Russia, uh, which would be a little like deciding to descend all the way into hell, I guess, <laughs> from a linguistic standpoint. Uh, and I'm now reappraising that. I'm wondering if I should, after Denmark, hop across uh, what was the that area of the sea called? Uh, I have no pe- idea. People who play diplomacy will know because it's a separate territory. I could jump from Denmark <laughs> to the Netherlands right. and, and learn some Dutch and instead cock conquer western europe that's that's how i see everything in my life it's uh, where, where can i invade next i mean or right. you can just hang out with your friends who speak those languages nah, nah. You, don't, you don't want to hang out with Clara or Steffi or anybody uh well i will uh, yeah, after i have mastered their language and they accept me as one of their own but until then i'll feel like a stranger <laughs> in a strange land I just imagine Matthew with like a trench coat and it's just like, I'm one of you now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the national uniform of the Dutch-Danish coalition, the trench coat. Right, and trench coat and fedora. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Eddie and I are both taking German for various reasons, uh, mostly. Honestly, for, for me, part of it is that I have taken a few languages in my lifetime. Uh, I've taken Japanese, which is, you know, not too hard to speak, but difficult to read and to learn the characters and stuff mm. like that. Um, and then French, which is, that makes no sense to me as far as speaking goes, because you don't say half the letters. No, no, you, you um, just do the first couple and then just ignore the rest. Yeah, you like, <laughs> you like swallow half the letters. And that, that was confusing to me. And then I started taking German. And let me tell you, since I speak a Germanic language already, I feel real fucking smart taking German. <laughs> Because there, there are words that will roll up and be like, be like, how do you say perfect in German? Perfect. Mm. I'm so I am good so at this. Smart. What is the word for restaurant? Restaurant. What's the word for house? House. Like, Brot. love it. Yeah. Mouse. Mouse. And then, <laughs> however, mice is moisa. So you have to like, you know, tweak it a little bit in your head. But like, there are so many things that are pretty much the same. And it- I'm like, I love this. It's so easy. And if you forget Moisa, you can just point to each mouse in turn and just go, mouse, 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 mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd still be correct. <laughs> Und I mouse. I don't think Duolingo would accept that. Like, <laughs> like Duolingo asks, how do you say mice in German? I just write, mouse, 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 <laughs> mouse, mouse, mouse. And it's like, no. no it's a, it's a techno song. Mouse, yeah. mouse, 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 mouse. mouse, 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 mouse. mouse. It squeaks in the deep. 
That's that's a whole book just has the word mouse like a hundred thousand times. Yep. Um. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, but today we are not here to talk about Duolingo. Although, like I said, we, we clearly could if we wanted to. Yeah, um, it was literally an hour conversation. <laughs> and yeah, maybe we, I mean, let, let us know, like on the the Pathcast channel, like if you would like to hear the complete. I mean, we we ramble a bit before and after the episodes in general, but like if you want to hear an hour of us just talking about nonsense, I mean, you know, maybe or just we'll like start stuff running. we're into. Like if you ever yeah. wanted, like want to hear just like a get get to know the Pathcast hosts better. Mm-hmm. Talk about like TV shows, music, or movies, and like not how they inspire games, just stuff we like. I'm like, sure we already do that. <laughs> I know, but like if you want like a whole hour or two of it, let us know. We can do like a little like break in the Onyx Path stuff and do like a little like getting to know you mm-hmm. bit. Well, I I've got something exciting to say. Oh please. Hmm. I've been working on Trinity Continuum Aether. Aether, Aether. It's called Aether. 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 And Aether. Yeah, that's been very <laughs> exciting. I know there's a lot of Trinity Continuum fans who listen to the show. They were very excited when I posted a photo of my War of the Worlds vinyl uh, that I was mm-hmm. listening to while uh, doing some red lines. And yeah, it's uh, very exciting. There's a lot of uh, interesting, some clashing ideas. It's a bit chaotic at this time, but that's the whole point mm-hmm. of doing red lines and later development. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying dipping my uh, not just a toe but an entire leg into the Trinity pool. And I realized I think this is my first, I guess, steampunk game. Oh, yeah, I can't okay. think I can't think that I've worked on anything else that you could classify as steampunk. I mean, maybe you could squeeze Victorian Mage in there a little bit. But yeah, yeah, but I d- I didn't really work too actively on that, right. you know, it was very much an overseer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, what what do you two think of steampunk as a genre? It's one we've uh, never really discussed. Yeah, so uh, when it first started becoming like a big thing, uh, especially in the convention circuit, I don't know, what, 10 years ago now? Mm-hmm. Um, I hated it. Was it, more, because, it was a lot more than 10 years ago. Yeah, but it got like real big at some point. I don't mm. know. But I hated it because I was a goth chick and I was like, they're taking my clothes and making them brown. I don't understand. (laughs) Um, However, as an aesthetic or a setting, I think it's really cool, but only when it's like useful and makes sense. I think the thing that I hate about some steampunk stuff is that people are just like, here is a hat and I glued gears to it. And I'm like, that doesn't do anything. You know, Um, what what is astonishing, Dixie, is I had this conversation with someone two days ago. I asked them, what do you think of steampunk? And they said, hat with gears on. And I think it's often a... They they described it as something that can often, I guess, lazily be used to justify an aesthetic without anything Mm -hmm. kind of holding it up in the background. There's no structure to it. It's just a a fashion, I suppose. I I did a, a... For a while there, I was doing Riddler cosplays to match my my friend Destiny's uh, Harley Quinn cosplays. Mm. Um, and she does something like 29 different versions of Harley Quinn. Wow. Uh, because she is literally an acrobat in real life. So she has fun dressing as Harley Quinn and, you know, standing on her head and stuff. Yeah. Um, and one of the ones that she has is a steampunk Harley. And so I kind of like whipped together kind of a, a, a steampunk Riddler. And one of the things that I made sure to do with it was that I borrowed uh, a, a a steampunk gun that, that 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 my friend had made to carry around that had like one of those little uh, orb balls with the blue lightning in it attached to it and stuff. Oh right, right, yeah. Whatever those um, are called. The the not Jacob's ladder. Um, 
I know what you're talking about. Or ball. Blue lightning. Sure, Touch right. It. That's the, that's oh, the technical. plasma ball. A plasma, plasma ball. ball. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, like, I have, I have like, one of those on it. So, like, it, it looked like it could do something interesting. Yeah. Um, I love it when I see somebody who's made, like, steampunk wings that actually use, like, a gear and pulley system to open. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, but, like, the, what I don't like is when it's just like, oh, it's brown goth. Yay. Like, I don't get it, I guess. And, like, if you want to do goth and brown, I don't care. But I feel like steampunk needs that steam element. And also, I feel like some people make it a little too pretty. Like, I feel like it needs to be a little grimy, a little gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, because but that's it, the it's, punk side of it, yeah. Right. And so, like, when I see people that are dressed in, like, Victorian ball gowns with, you know, of course, it with gears on it. I'm like, eh, it's, it's an aesthetic, but I feel like you didn't quite get it. Well, you know? we'll be back with more Dixie gatekeeping steam punk. <laughs> I'm telling please. you how I feel about it. You wow. asked what my thoughts wow. were on it. Now, for the record, I am not shaming anybody who wants to glue gear, gears to a hat and enjoy themselves. Right, Dixie will just judge you. That's all. No, it's just not for me. That's no, I know, not what I, know. I think steampunk is about. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know much about steampunk. I'll be honest, but I do know it's the healthiest way to prepare punk. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm so How long have you been you waiting know. for that to use it's that? It's the only reason I set up the entire conversation. See, I'll be I honest. I see. I'm That's so good. mad because you asked me about something that I actually have opinions on, and I was trying to like articulate my opinions without like offending our listeners, and it was all for a stupid ass joke. Have you met Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> However, I, solar I... punk is the most energy efficient. Yes, <laughs> it's true. As opposed you know, to diesel punk. Oh. oh, diesel punk is very bad. It's very polluting. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they should do better. And fracking punk. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing, Matthew. It is they, now. Yeah, they just frack punk. It just goes around with. Um, it, it's actually a bit confusing. Isn't isn't frack punk just like the Battlestar Galactica? Uh, punk uh, genre? Yeah, I was going to say some of them are people dressed as the crew of Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> um, but looking a bit grimy. And others look like mining engineers with gears on their hats, of course, because that's an obligatory part of the fashion. Um, no, that's, that's, that's only for steampunk. Uh, I think this, the gears made their way into fracking as well. But they turn <laughs> and you often have sort of boar accessories, not uh, wild hogs, you know, um, but boring devices like drills. Uh, so you would have these long screws uh, with threads going down your jackets, and uh, you'd all look like uh, that that uh, bad guy out of, I think, Thundercats, who had a drill bit for a lower half. Um, it was a character who, uh, now I'm really going off on a tangent. I was like, where are you going? Uh, I I have just remembered this one. Okay, so this is down to, I think, Eddie, you're hosting this, aren't you? So you're going to have to find (laughs) this for the show notes. There is a villain in Thundercats. I think it's Thundercats. I guess it could be GoBots. Uh, Easy to mistake for two. (laughs) Those are very different intellectual properties. And yet, released around the same time. So easy to blur into the childhood mind. Uh, Uh, Where this, he was, I think, just a henchman. I don't think he ever had any lines. But his lower half, waist down, was just one long drill. So he would bore into the ground and then pop out of it. You know, he was just a an action figure waiting to be made, except no doubt he would struggle to stand up because his bottom ended in a point. 
I mean, okay, there's a Mega Man character. Nope, nope, that, I found him. Yeah, but oh. I, I, the reason I was t- the reason I always talk for as long as I do is because I know while I'm doing it, Dixie is hammering away. <laughs> the research division <laughs> is currently so, muted. So, yeah, yeah, that, that, this is what I do. So, Driller is his name. He's in Inventive. a mysterious mechanical building. He has a giant drill instead of legs and a smaller drill on top of his head. He's a living boring device. He can drill through any material known to man with ease. Uh, the Citizen of the Deep only works for diamonds, which he needs to keep his drill point sharp. Uh, also, apparently, he can be summoned by Mumra, uh, and he is referred to as the Sand Devil of the Earth when they call him that. Also, Mumra calls him a dirtling, apparently. Heavens. Wow. Yeah, so he's really rude to him, actually. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm I'm sure Lion-O or Chitara, or I can't remember their fucking names. Actually, I'm doing a pretty good job remembering the names, yeah. <laughs> um, at Panthro. one point said... Um, uh, gosh, Driller is really boring. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a toy and it was terrifying looking. I think that's probably I mean, why it's I remember out there was a, a Predacon named Drill Bits, but I think he was a beetle. Hmm. Hmm. Like Ringo? Yes. <laughs> It's the fifth beetle, and it's it's Ringo. Yeah, between Pete Best and Ringo Starr, there was, was uh, Drill Bit, the Predacon. Right. Uh, yep. <laughs> he wasn't very good on the drums. He kept destroying the sets every time. No, they turned him into a roadie functionally. But you know, I mean, yeah. for a brief period of time, he had his artistic fame. Well, that Hamburg phase uh, for the Beatles was quite wild. They kept drilling <laughs> holes all over the damn place. So remember what I said earlier about it's funny you're an hour of us rambling about shit? Never mind. I take it back. We probably should never do that. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is it, y'all. This, this is basically like. what it would be. Just longer. Um, but no, we are not here to talk about uh, steampunk or, or nor to talk about Drillbit, although I probably could. Um, it's, <laughs> instead, we're going to pick up a... a plot thread from two weeks ago actually um uh, two weeks ago we were going to do an episode on story hooks and then and we, we did we digressed into character hooks and getting characters and players involved in the game which in retrospect actually was a really cool episode i'm glad we did it i mean i'm not no shade on that i think it was a good choice to kind of pivot and move away from that hmm. um but uh, uh i decided it's worth kind of picking back up and i've actually gamified this a little bit it's gonna um, we a bit similar to how we did our um, pitch a game things because people seem to like those. No, we hate games. Well, this is gonna be real awkward. Matthew and I won't play your games because we're because we're gonna we're gonna do this. Yeah. Oh, fine. Um, so <laughs> I I have pulled out uh, something from the midst of time. Uh, there was a deck of cards called the Destiny deck, Ooh. which was made in 1990 by Stellar Games. Does okay. it does it summon a serial killer if you place the wrong cards down? Because the Destiny deck does sound like it might do that. No, that it that although as I said it, I realized this sounds like a Yu-Gi-Oh card that probably does in fact summon a serial killer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so Yu-Gi-Oh, well known for its host of serial killers. Those episodes... well, you say that, but the manga is brutal. Oh my god, yeah. I read that recently, and it's like it's bloody. I remember when Bandit <laughs> Keith was lobotomized. Yeah, right. Oh no, that happened. Um, but no, the Destiny deck is, is a, was a GM uh, helper. I mean, it comes with four decks. There's a setting deck, an atmosphere deck, a challenge deck, and a bonus deck, which I'm not using. Um, but uh, And you flip the cards, and it gives you a, a really rough setting, a really rough atmosphere, and a really rough challenge. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... We're going to go around in circles. Uh, of course, circle being a very... Obviously, say, audio quality can three determine. Three different places, completely. Right. <laughs> um, we're going to go in order, like I said. 
Um, and uh, I'll flip over cards and you choose what game you want to do story hook for. I'll give you three cards and you have to try to use at least two of them in what could be a story hook. So that's the, that's the rules. Do we choose the game first and then we get the cards? Or yes. do we choose? Oh, okay. You choose the game first and then give you the cards. I'm always going to pick the game from them so that I can just make it stupid. That's fine. <laughs> um, but that's very silly. Uh, uh, before we go into that, um, I, I think it's worth talking because we've been using the word story hook a lot. What that actually means. It's not actually a plot it's actually an adventure um mm -hmm. uh so like uh, uh maybe both of you can talk about a little bit more about when we say story hooks inside onyx path what are we actually talking about yeah so i know that one of matthew's big things he puts in every outline is a story hook in every sentence right um and so a a story hook is essentially a dangling thread um that you put in the text uh, whether it's in the setting and in other things that players can follow if they want to um, or that storytellers or GMs or what what have you can set up if they want to. And it could be something as simple as there is an abandoned house on the east side of town. Sometimes you hear screams. Like, it doesn't tell you anything, really, mm -hmm. aside from that, that that thing is there. But it's there for you to elaborate on. Um, and we try to put those things in all of our setting um, so that people will go... Hey, this 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 thing is cool. I want to go check out this thing. Yeah. You know, right? Um, and that is really really and, and like whether it is about a place or whether you're, you're talking about like writing about a character, like oh this character uh, hates uh, this this vampire hates anarchs with a blinding passion. Right. And if you say that, and then your players are playing anarchs, you can go oh I should bring this vampire in as an antagonist because they freaking hate anarchs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's 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 also a story hook because it's 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 a way for you to create the story. They are like I said, like little like dangling threads on the tapestry that you can weave into your own tapestry, yeah. uh, which I think is a very very cool way of looking at them. What about now, you, Matthew? Um, uh, well, I completely agree. Uh, the only thing I will add mm -hmm. is, as a reader uh, of role playing games, and of course having been one since I got into role playing, I can quite clearly divide in my mind the kinds of role-playing games I read because they were just fun to read and the role-playing games that inspired me. Mm -hmm. And the ones that inspire me to run them or create characters for them tend to be the ones with prominent story hooks. They don't have mm -hmm. to be labelled as story hooks, although that can right. help. And it's interesting thinking back on it because one of the games I find that has the least number of story hooks in its core book, and I am it's quite prepared... No, no, well, yeah, D&D &D has a core <laughs> book because it's a mechanical book, but that wasn't the one I was thinking of. Uh, and I'm quite prepared for listeners to shout at me, fling fecal matter and the like. Please was, don't do that. It's very unsanitary. Well, sling driller at you. Yeah, yeah I, I especially wouldn't recommend it given that this is an, a podcast. Uh, you're only going to be hurting yourself. <laughs> um, it is... The Vampire the Masquerade core rulebook from pretty much every edition up to V20 uh, that I remember holistically is very inspiring, mm -hmm. but at a micro level is not. Not to me as a reader. I and, will disagree slightly, but finish with that. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I find the number of people who have expressed to me that they would love to run Vampire the Masquerade, but have never been able to work out how or what mm -hmm. kind of story to tell yep. is 
but due to the density of information presented and the lack of hooks uh, in in the core books, uh, you know, there's no mm-hmm. access into it. Whereas we have released other games that are positively filled with those openings. Uh, Pugmire is a very good example. I'm not just saying it because you're here, mm-hmm. Eddie. I think the way Pugmire is written uh, is... It is written in such a way that you are constantly teased with setting elements, character, mm-hmm. avenues to explore, a mysterious past. Uh, there's a political element. Basically, I can put, I can say both of them are really good games, but one of them is a game that I can pick up and within a couple of minutes of looking at it, I can have an, a story idea in mind. Right. The other one. I need a lot of time to think about and actually plan these things out. Right, I agree. Um, the only pushback I was going to give, and frankly, a lot of people forget about it, is Vampire Masquerade First Edition. It was such a limited run of that book. Mm. Um, but most people don't remember because most people think a first edition, actually think of second edition. Yeah. Right. yeah. First edition had like, a comic book of a character going through a story mm-hmm. and there was like right. a letter from Dracula and there was a ton of stuff in there because what Vampire Masquerade was, wasn't really gelled yet. Um, and so it was throwaway lines like, oh yeah, and Al Capone's the prince of Chicago and you know, this person is doing this thing over here. Um, and then as they kind of codified it and it's okay, no, this is what Vampire Masquerade is. Then you're right. It became a little almost sterile because it was, no, this is what the game is. Right. But at first, year or so was like we don't know their vampires are a thing and they exist so maybe they're maybe they're this and maybe they're that and i thought that it had more story hooks i think what i liked about vampire when it came to like story hooks specifically is that yeah you had the core book and it wasn't as inspiring for story hooks but then Mm -hmm. you had all the city books and you know various like clan books and stuff like that and those were just like story hook story hook story hook story hook um especially that's that's, that's what i enjoyed especially the first edition of chicago by night and it's something we uh replicated for v5 uh, with every book since chicago by night mm-hmm. was the layering in well in fact dedicating a chapter to story hooks dedicated around a certain theme it was first edition chicago by night that had story uh, 10 story hooks that you were even supposed to roll as if on a table because mm-hmm. again first edition vampire hadn't found its feet yet it mm-hmm. still felt a bit like a, I guess a trad rpg of the time yeah and so you want a you want to play a chronicle about the beast get to this part of chicago by night roll 1d10 and this story hook will be the the fundaments of your upcoming chronicle mm-hmm. and you know we we started doing that again with uh, our v5 books here at onyx path because i love that kind of thing i think uh, anything mm. that can get people at the table or online playing your game as quickly as possible is is a good thing that's part of why i love for all the characters we do for like vampire and stuff having the like rumors about them yeah um because right. it's a rumor is it true oh find out like those were really fun to write for the characters that i've written and also they're just really fun to read like when i edited chicago by night for instance um was you know leaving them up to the players at their table is very cool um and also being able to like get rid of stuff and, and plug stuff in as you want to is very cool which is what i, I liked about for instance the city books because like mm-hmm. our our ongoing vampire campaign when i was in my 20s was set in raleigh where i was living at the time um and we had we just taken some of the other city books and like ported them over to raleigh but use all the places that we were familiar with as people who hung out in downtown right um but like we would just port other vampires into our city and it was really fun so yeah 
And, and I know, like, uh, to kind of build on Matthew's point, um, the games that I feel like have a ton of plot hooks or story hooks, I should say, um, they don't feel complete, and that's a good thing. Uh, it feels like there's lots of possibility and, and potential, and it's something that you know I try to design in my games because uh, I feel like if you know everything about the setting, then there are ways to find adventure in the margins. Don't get me wrong, but like Matthew says, you have to think about it and figure out where things fit. That's why sometimes licensed games struggle um, because if you're playing, say, a Star Wars game, it's the okay you have to figure out how you are in relation to the Star Wars movies and TV shows and comics and all of that. And so you have to kind of find a space in there. But some of the more recent ones have done a really good job of saying, here's a whole new section of space that is obliquely mentioned in one place and let's flesh that out. And say, oh, there's actually a whole bunch more here that you can go into. So uh, a good story hook doesn't tell you the story. A good story hook is is, is like the opening sentence or the back cover blurb of a book. Yeah. So now that we've established that, um, let's go ahead and get started. Matthew. Oh, oh, real quick, I will say no. the other, like, because Matthew loves story hooks, I think they are incorporated so well into the They Came From books, especially Beyond yeah. the Grave. Because when we were writing, like, I did the uh, classic setting for Beyond the Grave, and I mm. forgot who wrote The Modern Day. Who was that? They were really good. Don't I, test me. I don't remember. Sorry. <laughs> um, but... What's cool is that every single location in there has multiple locations within it. So it's like graveyard, and then it'll be like among the trees or caretakers, you know, shack or whatever. And then mm-hmm. each of those will have little like things that could happen there. Um, and you can pick one of those, or you can mix and match them, or you can alter them, or whatever. And I, I, I just personally think that Beyond the Grave has done that brilliantly, um, and just just giving you lists and lists of like possible jumping off points for your plot. Yeah, no, absolutely. And honestly, even some of our more recent Chronicles of Darkness books tend to do a really good job mm-hmm. of this. If like, um, Oh, yeah, there's a ton of them in some of our, our new Chron books. Uh, because the, the, there's an easy way of kind of going, uh, let's reference the other existing games and show it's a larger world. But mm-hmm. more of the more recent ones, second edition ones, have done lots of the, and you see this thing, it could be a changing, it could be a vampire, you don't know. Um, and letting people kind of twist and mold that into whatever needs to make sense for their game. Yeah, totally. Which is very, uh, very cool. I believe it was Michael Barker, by the way. Um, was it Barker? That makes uh, sense. I was believe that was that so. my first time working with a Barker? I don't. Even, oh my god! I'm I think Barker. so. I think it, was, uh, it may only be the second project I've hired. I hired him on uh, after Shunned by the Moon. I could be wrong. Uh, I've worked with him several times now. All very good writer. The person it was was very enthusiastic and great. Mm. So. That does sound well, like Barker. That, yeah, that, yeah, that does sound like him. Hey, Barker, if you're listening. Good job. Good job, Barker. Sorry, I forgot who you were on the thing. I love okay. working with it, you. There's so many books. Yeah. They all blur together. I'll probably get contacted by an irate writer. How dare you? No, it was actually me. How dare you? <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, Matthew, uh, pick a game that you would like to write a story book for. Christ. Also, also uh, it was Barker. Christ is not a game I'm familiar with. Uh, it was but... Barker. I looked it up. Okay, it was Barker. Good. There is a game all about biblical, the Seventh Seal, a role-playing game of prophetic revelations. But that isn't. Is the there one really? I, yeah, it's a biblical role-playing game. I wow. Um, it's not that good. It was made by a Bible group. Either way, oh. um, that isn't what I was. Um, <laughs> what I was going. What I want to do a story up for. Thank you. I'm going to challenge myself right out of the gate and go for the game that is supposedly the hardest one to run a game for, Wraith the Oblivion. Wraith? Yep, I knew it. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, oh, jeez. So setting... And you, only have to, you only have to use two of these. 
Uh, setting is a magic user, psychic, or esper's place. So examples okay. are like tower, castle, terrain, yep, yep. or whatever. Atmosphere is uh, fearlessness, boldness, well-being, or confidence. Okay. And the challenge is search or quest. Ah, well, I think that would be fairly easy for Wraith the Oblivion uh, to use all three. Uh, Regardless of the era you set it in, your story hook would be that a necromancer or dabblers of some kind pull your circle of wraiths through to the Skinlands Mm. uh, to bind them, because most wraith games are set in the Shadowlands uh, by default. And people often want an excuse to be able to interact with the Skinlands. This person actually gives you that power on a temporary basis, providing you serve them in the way they are dictating. However, they have grossly overestimated their own ability, hence the feeling of uh, invulnerability or however you described it. Um, they've got overconfidence. Yeah. And and you as wraiths are aware of this, that your binder, your necromancer, does not have a full leash on you. Therefore, you can quite easily snap that, but you don't know what the penalty will be, whether it will drag you all the way back to the Shadowlands before you can do what you want to do. Therefore, you're kind of on a temporary meter of your own running. But the... Uh, the issue is the longer you leave it, potentially the more powerful the necromancer will become or the more they might torment you. Uh, so if I were to encapsulate that, a necromancer using powers well beyond their own abilities summons the wraiths to their mausoleum in the Skinlands and commands them to perform a task. Little does the necromancer know that the leash they hold over them wraiths is not as tight as they would wish. Nice. Actually, I kind of want to play that game now. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Hopefully, we all want to play all these games. Otherwise, we're having a problem. Well, I mean, like, this specific story. <laughs> I'll run it for you today. There you go. Dixie, pick a game. Um, Pugmire. Well, there goes my option. Okay. Well, realms, realms of Pugmire. Um, so I'm trying setting... to pick other ones that, like, aren't my games. I think it's more fun if we try to pick each other's. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, a place of celebration. Mm-hmm. Atmosphere of rage, anger, ire, or annoyance. Okay. And the challenge is uh, elude, overcome, or discover sentient beings. Ooh, that's fun. Uh, so we are in Water Dog Port. Okay. We've got some rowdy pirates having a party. They just got back with all their uh, all their all their hull, all their plastic and treasures, mm-hmm. and they're very very excited. So they are celebrating with their friends um, in a in a tavern. Um, and something, something changes and turns the mood from joy to anger. And Mm. your characters witness this happen, but they don't feel it. They just see, um, what, what, what was like a, a raucous celebration, just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, people start, you know, throwing punches and fighting and they don't really know what's going on. Uh, but they see... A small, a small creature out of the corner of their eye run back into the woods right, right after it happens, um, and they have to figure out what's going on. Okay. Um, so, so yeah. So the creature somehow maybe causing the. Yeah, I would say that it's like probably possessed by the unseen. If I had to go and like the like backstory where sure. my brain would be, what they would eventually figure out. Uh, so like as as the the guide for this, I would you know 
have a creature that was possessed by the unseen um but maybe it is actually like sentient enough to communicate with if you can get it unpossessed okay um but it can it, it can influence emotions nice and that and that makes it difficult to chase because you're you know trying to be determined and then it can make you feel like sleepy that could be fun <laughs> like an emotion manipulating it's nap time yeah it's, it's like a little like chipmunk looking thing it looks real cute but it has like a sinister eye yeah, like gremlins yeah yeah sure mm. yeah i can see that so yeah yeah that's that's the sentient thing i kind of threw in there because i mean i think i think the obvious thing would have been to go for like church of man type stuff Right. Um, so I tried to make it a little bit different uh, because you can do so many Pugmire stories with like, they're trying to find relics of man or possibly right. man. Um, but yeah, like setting it somewhere different, having some fun, weird things happen. I like it. Sweet. Okay. What are you going to do? I will choose uh, Deviant the Renegades because we're choosing other people's games. Mm. Uh, so nice. my setting is an isolated or remote place or structure. Atmosphere is Chaos, bewilderment, confusion, or perplexity. That's, that's, that's apropos. And the challenge is uh, survival, avoid, etc., catastrophe. Okay, so that's just Stevie and the Renegades. Right. So <laughs> that's the game. Um, you, go play you, that. You just described the game, Stevie and the Renegades. <laughs> um, but no. Um, uh, so uh, you are part of a group who are trying to overthrow your the corporation that has, has modified you or manipulated you. Um, it's a pretty common uh, trope for deviants. Um, and you go to uh, a, a warehouse uh, that you are, you know, you think that they may have some shipments in there to try to, you know, get some evidence against them. Uh, and it turns out that it's actually a trap. Um, you are, you are knocked out, you're captured um, and uh, you awake inside of, a huge, you know, just giant room. Um, and there are other people captured there. Uh, and so you think, oh, we've been jailed. You're trying to escape. And you realize that, no, you actually are in, you're on an island. You're in prison on an island. That is, just, there no, there's nobody here. And as you go through um, all of the other abandoned experiments from the conspiracy are let loose. So you are trying to find that balance of some of these people, maybe you can try and save them and try to recover, you know, get them close to you where like you actually have some coherence and able to kind of fight back. And some of them are just too far gone. Um, but also some of them are trying to leave this island and maybe are, are spreading out into, uh, uh, you know, the city across the, the, the lake or whatever to, to get mm -hmm. to those people. So you have to find a balance of how many of these people who are also victims of the conspiracy that we have to try to, uh, to save, try to salvage, how many of them do we just have to recapture or maybe even kill because there's just so many of them. And how, what that says about you, that you're lumped into the same category as these kinds of people or mm -hmm. experiments, um, it allows you to kind of, th there's, there's some fun playing with, um, where are you in, in, you know, as an experiment and digging into that, that kind of conflict and how, um, do your enemies perceive you as, as, as frankly, potentially disposable, uh, material, um, but also you have to kind of, in some way, think from that perspective as well to stop other people from potentially getting hurt. Hmm. So, I like yeah, it. kind of, kind of a uh, a prison riot slash monster 
crawl. Yeah, all I yeah. can think of is uh, that episode in season four, Buffy, when the initiative goes down and like mm-hmm. all the doors get opened. So yeah, all these yeah. like demons of various levels of like sentience and being experimented on get released. Yeah, the end of Cabin in the Woods as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. a little bit of also uh, Batman Arkham Horror or oh, yeah. Arkham, Horror, Arkham Asylum, I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other Arkham. Arkham City, Arkham Asylum. Right, that, that whole franchise. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, I'm sure, I wonder if Batman's like been it. crossed over with Cthulhu yet. I'm sure. He's I'm had so sure. many crossovers. I'm sure he has. I don't know. Yeah, I know he's crossed over with Judge Dredd. Yeah, you can't really brutalize a deep... Well, you can't brutalize a deep one. You might struggle with a Shoggoth. Sherlock Holmes has crossed over into Cthulhu. I could see him interacting with cults. I Again, as soon as you get into the more eldritch sphere... I think Sherlock might lose his arrogant poise when confronted by Niall Athertep. But then again, maybe not. Maybe he'd say, um, I, I solved this case in three steps, Har- <laughs> Harbinger of Azathoth. Right. Why don't you take a seat and have a sherry? There was a book called Batman the Doom that Came to Gotham that was about, it was a three issue miniseries. Okay. Um, and it dealt with alternate Batman in the 1920s fighting against uh, Lovecraft-inspired things. like oh, uh, right. Lurker on the Threshold. And apparently, it was a Mike Mignola thing. Oh, really? Um, hmm. Yeah. it was, And it's, it's full of many Lovecraft-inspired renditions of the Dark Knight's friends and foes, including Green Arrow, Two-Face, Ra's al Ghul, and so on. Huh, uh, okay. The story's title is an allusion to Lovecraft, the doom that came to Sarnath. So there is a trade paperback version of it if you want to read it. Um, I, I love when we mention all these uh, out of school things, but when Eddie or you are having to host because it's the adding to the show notes right. that I hate. <laughs> I have to look this stuff up for show notes. Yeah, I don't put everything on there. It was just like a throwaway sentence, though. Mm. No, but yeah, it, it actually looks one. pretty cool. I might watch it. Uh, I was also watch thinking it? of um, uh, a study in Emerald. Um, yes. which was uh, very much a Cthulhu meets Sherlock Holmes story mm. with an interesting it's a twist. a Neil Gaiman story. Yeah. yeah, Neil Gaiman. I won't spoil the twist in it, but this is a very fun twist. Yeah, you can uh, find that both in like a Sherlock collection and in one of Neil Gaiman's short story collections. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I'm going to go for the Trinity Core, Eddie. Trinity Core, okay. Yeah. Uh, so your setting is a public event. Oh, okay. Atmosphere is a loyalty, loyalty camaraderie, fellowship, or friendship. Mm-hmm. And your challenge is to capture, kidnap, or eliminate a creature or being. Ooh. Uh, okay. Uh, so I think this can be a nice capsule story, the way I'm imagining it. Uh, let's invoke one of the societies. We'll go for the pharaohs, lightkeepers, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. Light, yep. Yeah. Uh, which are one of the most mysterious societies in Trinity. You are at a political rally. You are there to make sure nothing unusual happens. You are not there representing the Pharaoh's light keepers. Uh, You represent other societies or a singular society. However, during this political rally, hell, let's call it the National Republican Convention, you find, during the rubbing of shoulders and eating of canapes, the assassinated body of an individual (gasps) who has no ID, should not be there, is utterly mysterious, but, and this is probably where the story hook would finish, you identify as one of the Pharaoh's lightkeepers. Now, what that means to anyone who is familiar with Trinity is something very bad is likely to happen. 
because mm-hmm. this is a society that only really gets involved when there is a great aberration, a mutant or, or weapon about to mm-hmm. go off or something like that. And so it's a race against the clock. If this individual was here and has been killed, what were they trying to stop? And I think to tie into that um, monster on the loose thing, we could have some kind of biological weapon fringe style about to mutate somebody who's about to run rampant through the uh, national, the Republican National Convention. So, you know, you could just leave. Um, but being decent people, you should probably stay and do something about it. So that's that's my story hook for Trinity. Trinity people are generally decent, yes. Yeah. Yeah, usually. Um, as a note, on some of these cards, they do have examples. Um, and and uh, on the challenge, uh, you know, it has like obvious ones like capture a criminal, kidnap a princess. My favorite is trap a bear. <laughs> I mean, that's something that you could do in Trinity. It is a challenge. Yeah. It is it's definitely like, a challenge. It's like somebody let a bear loose at a public event. <laughs> um, actually, what, did, what was that game I was playing where you let a bear loose? Oh, it was one of Danielle's playtests. We we like let a lot of animals lose to multiple. Yes, yes. Oh right, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and the only reason the Republican National Convention is on my mind is because in the wrestling RPG that I've been running lately, uh, with its awful alliterative and assonanced uh, events, where we we had chaos at the churchyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to have carnage at the county fair, but then the arrogant East Coast wrestler, the Jet Set Strutter, turned up and insisted on renaming it Civil War at the County Fair because I love alliteration that doesn't work. Yeah, I was going to say, is this all bad alliteration? <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it, on, a, on the poster, it looks alliterative, but you just yeah. say it, it's not. I yeah, love that. Um, <laughs> but then we've actually gone for a successfully alliterative event, which was Rumble at the Republican National Convention, <laughs> where as we were playing through it, all of the heels were being cheered and all of the faces, all the good guys were being booed. Uh, and there was a scandal because a Republican congressman for wherever, uh, Insano the Clown threw a bucket of glitter over him in the audience. Insano is a wrestler, of course. And there was a photo snapped of a uh, Texan congressman recoils in fear from bucket of glitter. What kind of man is he? Uh, straight out of the party with you. But yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Anyway. Good, clean fun. Yes. Dixie. Uh, let's go for They Came From Beyond the Grave. Came from beyond the grave. Okay. Um, a local place or local structure. Okay. Some square, tavern, inn, whatever. Uh, Isn't every place ghost? a local place, technically? Well, right, but it's it's a... a <laughs> like, the examples I give are like uh, a tavern, inn, newspaper, TV studio, library. So newspaper a place that is... Newspaper isn't a place. I'm just being obnoxious. <laughs> the place that newspapers are made, Dixie. A newspaper, in case you're not familiar, is is a it, it's like printing up the internet search engine, but only on paper. <laughs> I'm not twenty. I'm thirty six. I know. I know. Uh, the atmosphere is ghostly, mythical, unknown, or mysterious. Oh, that's gonna be hard for Beyond the Grave. Mm. Uh, and the challenge is climate or weather. Ooh, I mean, that's isn't that just the plot of Ghostbusters? <laughs> There's a library, and the EPA is evil. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so, so there you go. We're done. Uh, no, I would say that for Beyond the Grave, there is. Um, I think I will stick with 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 library because libraries are fun places to set things. There's an old library on a hill, 
And for the past few weeks, it has been raining and thunderstorming directly over the library and nowhere else um, in the town. So that's obviously weird. Uh, And if you go into the storm, that's when you get occasionally transported back into the Victorian era. Uh, where mm, okay. you know there there are strange things happening there, or no, no, no. Whenever thunder strikes, whenever there's there's there's, oh. there's a thunderclap, you you switch eras. Um, so in the 1970s, you are going through this like haunted library where you know once again very Ghostbusters. There's like card catalogs going everywhere, books are flying out. You don't really don't really know what's going on. Uh, if I were to actually do it in Beyond the Grave stats, I would base it on the haunted house stats. Um, right. But add in, uh, I think it was the toy NATO, we called it, Matthew, or the tool NATO, where it could be like a poltergeist level version yeah, of yeah. it throwing shit at you. <laughs> um, and then we go back into Victorian times because the library is still there because it's, you know, it's a it's a it's an ancient respected library. Uh, maybe at a college right. or something. That is when you have to find the 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 sordid truth as to the past of the library, and that's pretty much where the story hook would end, um, once again. But uh, as far as the cause of it, I'd probably make it um, either someone who worked at this library or university or whatever uh, was you know murdered there, obviously, because that makes sense. Um, but you have to make it a little bit silly. Maybe a, a librarian was crushed to death by a falling stack of books um, and is angry that they were betrayed by the very thing they had based their life on. Uh, so you have to, you know, teach them how to love books again to make them stop. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that could be a really fun setting. Like, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit of the Doctor Who's Silence in the Library episode because that's just a good, like, atmospheric thing to go with. Uh, but then making it very like seventies and Victorian, yeah. And then of course it would end with people slowly getting picked off by you know volumes of Moby Dick being hurled at their craniums. I mean that was that's that's fun for me because like being able to adapt the setting elements that we give in books is mm. really really useful. Like I know that for a long time people kept asking uh, you, Matthew, like what if you did they came from beyond the grave, but with you know. Aliens from outer space, or not, 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 not beyond the grave, but beneath the sea. Yeah, like outer space aliens, and you're like, just make them come from outer space through clenched teeth. Um, but then finally right. you did write a tasty bit for it. But like, that's how I feel about like the haunted house. Like, it doesn't have to be a haunted house, right? A haunted oh. house could be a haunted whatever the hell building you want it to be. A- absolutely, and I think that's what uh, where for me as a director, story guide, what you will, mm-hmm. uh, they came from excels uh you can shamelessly pull plots from existing media that is what the game is all about and use them and just tweak them slightly or don't tweak them at all yeah because i mean like literally all the prompts that i was just given were ghostbusters it was literally ghostbusters yeah uh, Um, which mm -hmm. does show there's no such thing as an original idea (laughs) (laughs) right but like instead of making it a comedy that you know ends with various silliness Hmm. you make it an actual horror thing where like what if every time the what if when the ghostbusters went went to the library you know one of them didn't come out yeah um and also i like the idea of the like thunderclap flashing because especially that means that a character if they have the or they could use the cinematic dramatic weather to immediately change the time Mm -hmm. which is very cool because then you're giving the players a way to get out of a situation um yeah i don't know i i i love stuff like that no, that's that, that's very cool, and um, like just how flexible they came from is like uh, 
as a, a couple of months ago, I was just thinking of games like Ozzy Run, and I realized that you can run, uh, you can use the game from Beneath the Sea to run basically the Men in Black movies mm-hmm. real easily. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think people, for obvious reasons, I mean, it's right there in the title, they fixate on the Beneath the Sea Mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. think, well, I don't want to do an invasion from the sea, so I won't play this game. And fair enough if that's your feeling, but at the same time, this is a game all about 1950s B-movies, and they don't even have to be 1950s, and they don't even have to be B-movies. They, it is a sci-fi role-playing game. Yeah, but and, like, if, if you yeah. want to set your They Came From Beneath the Sea game in the desert, and it came from the mountains... Yeah, you want to play Tremors? same game. Like, yeah, can, yeah, Tremors is... Attack of the Dragon Gila Monster? Yeah, exactly. I think we even referenced Attack of the Giant Gila Monster in this. So. I'm pretty sure we did because I got really excited about it because it was one of the first <laughs> B-movies I ever saw. That and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. But anyway, this isn't that they came from our. We should do one of them. So it's your turn, Eddie. What game are you picking? Uh, since we're not doing They Came From Beneath the Sea, um, I'm going to choose They Came From Classified. because. Ooh. So we're just going to do all that They Came From okay. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. That must... And also, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if I can make this work into a spy genre thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a place of death. Oh, my God. This is not going well. And as a side note, before the next card, I actually have tempted to say Vampire the Masquerade, so that would have been really cheap if I had died yeah, place Vampire of death. the Masquerade. <laughs> I feel like people die a lot in spy movies, though. It's true, it's true. Often a spy movie starts out with, like, this guy's <laughs> dead, now what? This person's dressed as a clown and is running away from other clowns. What could possibly be happening? Oh, octopussy's happening. That's what's happening. Anyway. <laughs> the atmosphere is despair, grief, regret, or sadness. Oh, so it's like one of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. One of the movies. <laughs> From beginning wow. to end. No, no, I just mean that he's like broody compared to the yes, yes. There aren't many moments of the Daniel Craig Bond movies where I'm sitting there with a smile. Yeah. That, that is, that's fair. That's mm. fair. Uh, and the challenge is uh, deal with uh, disease or plague or poison. Heavens. Okay. This is just like a sad um, version of the uh, Trinity Core game that Matthew just made up. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I, I will have you know. The Republican National Convention is not a place of death. It's a place of money. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, uh, so the group of spies that we're playing actually are going to a funeral. Um, it's One of their agents, uh, 00, uh, has, has tragically died in a mission. Um, and so... Uh, you, you're, you're at the funeral and you're trying to find out kind of what 00's last mission was. Uh, and in the course of it, you find out that uh, 00 um, actually found a bioengineered locust. Mm. And oh, no. uh, so you need to go to this, this company um that is, uh, and in the in, in in 60s kind of vibe, so it did some kind of uh, uh, medical company um, that that's using locusts to try to allegedly, like you know, we're, we're just it's, it's genetic study to see if if locusts can allow us to cure disease because sure that's a thing that a corporation will put in their manifest, um, <laughs> but it's 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 obvious that their elaborate cover story is completely a lie. Um, and in fact, uh, they are using locusts to try to spread disease that for some reason only affects communists. <laughs> 
I love the disease that infects you based on your political leanings. Yes, yes right. So, so uh, it, it has gone wrong because <laughs> for some reason, it, communism is not a, a, a genetic condition that you can key a disease to, but they <laughs> believe that that has happened. I think some of the people at my co- national convention may be behind the creation <laughs> of this bioweapon, and I don't think they're very smart. <laughs> It'll only target the pinkos. It's fine. Just release it into the crowd. Um, but but yeah. So the, the the idea of like you have to stop this this disease, but also you eventually have to fight giant locusts because reasons. So All yeah, right. that's, that's that's the story. Well, it, I think that giant communist more, locusts. Yeah. Um. It, obviously, when the giant locusts come in, it drifts from <laughs> Bond to more. I'm not even sure what spy job. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm sure there are some spy movies that have giant monsters in uh, mutated things. Yeah, yeah, there's you know ill-tempered uh, sea bass. I mean, mutated Austin Powers. Bass. Austin has Powers. Sharks with exactly. on their heads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, there are also yeah. Um, there are mad scientists with monstrosities. Um, it, the the giant locust would be like the last thing you fight, kind of thing. So like, yeah, it's it's the Oh, it's this weird presentation of, of the disease. But then over time, it's like, oh, it actually goes to animal experimentation. Then eventually you, know, you fight the one you know, like a giant locust. And then oh, yeah. I, I can imagine the agents, at least one of them, hanging off of the Golden Gate Bridge and firing with their pistol at the giant locust flying towards San Francisco. And right. every single shot, regardless of the fact that it's fl- you're shooting into the air, is going pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, And I know there were like a couple of episodes of, uh, maybe it was Ben from Uncle or maybe it was I Spy, I don't remember. Um, But they were like uh, uh, fighting like genetically altered gorillas. Yeah. So, I mean, Mm. it's not as far as it sounds. Like there, there, there's kind of this weird vein of odd sci-fi that Uh, that does come up in. The third Doctor uh, of Doctor Who, which I think of quite closely as an espionage series more than any of the oh, uh, other ones because it's largely based on earth due to budget cuts uh has a f- at least a few episodes where m- animals are turned to outrageous size mm-hmm. uh where so it's just an excuse to have john pertwee in front of a blue screen uh with a very large lion in the background so you can go gosh sarah jane run right. and, and then the lion is running towards the camera or, or, or facing <laughs> off the worst claymation dinosaurs that have ever existed. Yes, the dinosaurs. But then we get better dinosaurs in uh, a later season. We do. That's true. Series, That's true. Whatever you uh, the Stegosaurus it. should have never been presented as a predator. That's the problem. <laughs> yes. It will eat all of your ferns. <laughs> but anyway, so there you go. So those are some example story hooks that you can use in your games. Shall we do some more? Fight. Um, we're getting close to time. Uh, but we can ah, do let's do let's do one more. Yeah, round. we do one more short round. One okay, more short. round. Okay, speed rounds. Okay, Matthew, pick a game. Oh yeah, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> uh, ooh, hmm, let's go for. I'm looking on my shelf. Scion, Cavaliers myself. of Mars, Dystopia uh, uh, Rising. We'll go for Mummy the Curse. Mummy the Curse. Okay. Trying to give you our games, and you're like, no, I shall go for a Chronicles of Darkness game. It no, was the ahead. first one my eyes landed on. Fair enough. <laughs> um, a manufacturer's or merchant's place. Uh, so examples of like clothier restaurants, yeah. uh, whatever. Um, atmosphere of uh, quiescence, peace, composure, or calmness. Okay. 
and the challenge of riddles, prophecies, puzzles, or mazes. Ah, well, that works. Uh, I almost see this as a prologue, uh, which I guess most story hooks are. Mm-hmm. That you've got uh, two members of rival cults meeting in a restaurant at closing time. They're the only people there beyond the servers who are hoping for these two to eventually pay up and leave. And they have been in a long discussion questioning their loyalty, their devotion to these long-sleeping immortals. And it ends with one of them deciding to remain dedicated to their task and the other deciding, no, now is the time for me to leave my cult. The one who decides to leave at that point hands over an icon or relic, something of importance to his cult, saying, you know, this is useless to me now. And so the other cultist takes on and brings it to his master's sanctum, tomb, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Not knowing that by doing so, you're going to inadvertently start a war between two cults because you've now just inherited an artifact from another mummy without that mummy giving permission. Uh, So it all starts off calmly. It starts off with a crisis of faith. Uh, Everything is, you know, it's peaceful. They come to a certain calm about it. One is rededicated. The other has uh, decided they will move on and walk the earth like Cain in Kung Fu. But Mm -hmm. uh, just on the horizon, we are going to see a terrible fallout from this simple exchange in a restaurant at night. Nice. I dig it. Dixie. I'll do Scion. Just Scion? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pick a tier because it's, it's Scion. It's all one game. Uh, a sporting event. Okay. Conspiracy, plotting, intrigue, or secrecy. Uh-huh. And the challenge is uh, employ or use or prevent the use of sensory skills. Did they just like read the tasty bit we have coming up? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was like, really? <laughs> All right. Um, a competition. So competitions are, are very common in, in mythology, whether it's like a foot race with a god or, you know, people flying too close to the sun or people, you know, lifting and throwing things, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do uh, a contest between uh, scions of various gods of war that happens every 10 years, let's say, mm-hmm. in the desert somewhere. Um, and they have to compete in kind of classic Olympic style stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, like wrestling, javelin, probably some running, maybe a shot put, that kind of thing. More than like our, our current wrestling, maybe some archery, possibly like a sword fight, you know. Um, so there's a competition. What was the second thing? Uh, conspiracy, plotting, intrigue, or secrecy. Okay. So one of them uh, is unbeknownst to the others, uh, not a war scion. He's actually a scion of Loki. Um, and uh-huh. he is using his trickster powers because I just watched Loki. So, of course, you know, right. um, also I just watched Marvel's What If, so also more Loki. Uh, but he's using his trickster powers to make people think that he is, uh, in fact, a scion of Ares. Um, and then he is undermining other people, um, especially uh, the scions of uh, his Aesir e- pantheon when it comes to their uh, their competition. And then mm-hmm. a, a sensory thing, you said? Yes. Uh, so the way he is doing this is he is using his his various trickster powers and um, uh, illusions and, and things to uh, blind them right okay. as they are about to do something. 
like like they're 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 about to throw a javelin and he essentially makes like a, a a camera flash in front of their eyes um so just keeps taking them out of the game and making them lose to what should be lesser competitors like some of the people that have been dominating these for you know the past 20 years are suddenly like throw it like dropping their javelins or uh falling over when they go to throw their 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 shot put and so your band of scions who was there just to spectate um although one of them could be competing depending mm-hmm. on who your scions are, uh, because there are spectators at this event, realize that something is going on and uh, need to get to the bottom of it. Uh, kind of like in... I'm going to mention Harry Potter, because I don't like J.K. Rowling, obviously, but sure. most people my age know Harry Potter. Uh, like when they realized something was going on at the Quidditch game, and they had to right. go like root it out and be like, something bad's happening. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a similar kind of feeling where somebody is clearly messing with it. And for what reason? You don't know yet. Um, but I would say it turns out that it's mostly, you know, Loki being Loki trying to humiliate anybody who's a scion of his, his, his brother there. <laughs> um, or one of the other gods that has pissed him off from, from his pantheon. Trying to make sure that his, his, his pantheon comes in last. So that he can show up and be like, see, we're not about strength. We should be about knowledge and cunning yeah. and, and possibly take over from there. And I would say this is probably at hero level. Because uh, it, it doesn't seem like something that demigods would be as much into. And gods, I think, are far, far beyond those sorts of concerns. Uh, <laughs> but I would say it is hero level because it, it would be more Im- impressive feats of strength. And also you need to know that you're the scion of a war god. Right. So, yeah, that is mine. It is like it is a... Uh, Burning Man for Silence. <laughs> just go out in the desert for a week and like do weird shit. Right. It's, just leave us go. We just want to do mythic stuff. Yeah. Bothering us. Yeah. That's that's what I'm gonna go with. That makes sense. Also, setting something in, in in a desert is interesting to me because you don't really have like cities as much if you're out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. You have maybe tents. So it's a very different feeling uh, than the typical urban fantasy if you're far away from what what we consider civilization. Yeah, and I always find it, urban, as it were. Yeah, I always find it interesting when people take urban fantasy and set a thing in a jungle or on a plain or in the mountains or something, and there there isn't city, um, so you got to find other ways to to hide and run and do chase scenes and things like that. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, um, and then I will choose uh, Scarlands, the last one. Nice, nice. I like it. Uh, a place of captivity. Panic, cowardice, fear, or anxiety, which is basically 2020. And, and also Scarlet's. <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, an arch, eme- arch enemy or nemesis. Um, hmm. I've already done the capture in the jail, so I can't really do that mm. again. Um, nemesis is a hard one, I think, for a story hook. Yeah, I'm gonna flip another card because that sets kind of because uh, all the examples are like the reoccurring enemy, the unflagging pursuer. Yeah, you would yeah. like build up to having a nemesis. Right. Like usually, your players pick out who the nemesis is gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like you can seed it and you can try to like steer them towards a certain nemesis, but sometimes your players are like, "But that guy," and you're like, he- "I guess that guy's the bad guy now." I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and to be fair, uh, um, not useful for this format, but um, it, we talked a little before how an interesting character can also be a story hook. So it's like, I'm going to build up to this character being the player's potential nemesis or, or, or antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for this structure, it doesn't quite work. So um, I have redrawn to Curse or Jinx. Uh, so that actually helps me out. Um, so uh, 
the characters are going through the uh, Hornsaw Forest, um, and it's it's getting very cold. Um, and and uh, NPC that's traveling along with you will say this is a kind of like uh, escort quest kind of thing. Um, and it goes off to get wood for the fire, uh, and um, turns out that rather than just getting loose wealth of four, they actually uh, broke branches off of a tree. Um, which uh, turns out to have been parts of a wood nymph. Uh, and so uh, the characters all wake up and they have been turned into animals. They have been cursed to be animals because they have Ooh. angered some of the spirits of the, for of the Hornsaw Forest. Did any of them get to be Hornsaw Unicorns? They could be Hornsaw Unicorns, but not as angry, just more scared. I freaking love Hornsaw Unicorns. Anyway, sorry. Um, and, and so they have to... Not only try to find a way to uh, appease the spirits and also to get their forms back, but they don't have hands. They don't have equipment. They don't have speech. They're just animals. Uh, so that, that kind of, of anxiety over not being able to communicate your concerns can, can be potentially very, very dangerous. And, and place of activity is more abstract in this case. It's like you're, you're trapped inside of an animal body. Um, and then, yeah, you just try to find... A, a way to uh, uh, get someone's attention or find uh, someone with a magical spell or whatever to, to get out of this circumstance. There's a lot of different ways that, that could potentially go. And that you could fairly open story hook, I think, but the, you could find some, a whole different ways to, to get out of this predicament. And it, it could be fun, just like one night adventure kind of thing. Like, oh, you know, some people don't show up for the game. So let's just do this to kind of spend some time before we get back to the game proper. Yeah, totally. I, I I like having story hooks to four side stories mm -hmm. um, because yes, you get your story hooks for your main stories, and often the 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 guide or the storyteller or whatever will come up with those on their own. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're inspired by a thing they read in the book. Maybe they're not. Maybe they you know know their players want to have a political intrigue set in the you know Camarilla, mm -hmm. and so they just make something around that. But then you look at you know Chicago by Night, and you look at this character you know Sun. And you realize that you have a Malkavian and that they probably won't like each other. <laughs> right. And so you can bring them in and you can make, you know, something else interesting happen. Um, or you like when we were playing our vampire game that was set in Chicago, I know that my storyteller did a lot of story hooks from the various supplement books and just kind of wove them into our story. Mm -hmm. So we had like our main story, which was mostly getting in good with the local Camarilla and Kevin Jackson because we were a pretty new coterie and then we also had a side story of like going to gary and fucking with the anarchs um and trying to figure out what happened to like x person and dealing with one of our nosferatu contacts and so like all those little side stories all came from characters in the books um whether it was chicago by night let, let the streets run red what have you uh but you know they all kind of got like like i said woven together into one tapestry and mm -hmm. that was that's really cool because anybody else who plays that game, even if they play the exact same clans that we did, is going to have probably a completely different story. And that's okay because your character concepts are different and what hooks you in is going to be different and what paths you follow is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I like about having lots of good story hooks is that you find something for every player, you know? Exactly. And, and as we demonstrated, it's, it's relatively easy to uh, make story hooks and just throw them out there because the nice thing about a story hook is it's, it's just a couple sentences like we've shown. Yeah. Um, it's pretty easy to come up with them. And then if a player doesn't gravitate to them, you just make up some new ones and move on. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, I think the Deviant example was a very good one because just by drawing those three cards, you were able to form a plot in your mind. That was a, a very visual one, that one, mm-hmm. where, at least for me, as soon as you start mentioning something like an isolated place yeah. um, and you know, and then and chaos about to break out or something like that, that that's yeah. enough. You know, for me as mm-hmm. a as a storyteller, I can say, okay, all right, an isolated place where chaos is about to break I mean, out. That is but... the plot of so many slasher movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, I think uh, on the subjects of the Malkavians uh, <laughs> in Chicago, it really sucks to be a Malkavian in Chicago. Because really? yeah, because I mean, it sucks to be a Malkavian in general, but to have a primogen that just detests all the other members of his own clan. Yeah, it's I mean, not we the were... perfect rep to have, is it, on the city council? We were taking him down as best we could. Like we yeah. were working on it. Well, uh, that's I mean, what he's there for. Yeah, like if there are there are a lot of reprehensible characters in Vampire, they're there so that you can take them down if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. because that's kind of the point. Like we were, I mean, this is just, this is just you tell me about your game. But one of our big things we were doing was you know goading Balthazar into breaking Elysium. Yeah. Um, whenever we could, so that he got banned. <laughs> So as opposed to us hitting him and messing it up, we would just give him shit until he punched somebody. Well, here's a piece of trivia for Mm. listeners before we wrap up. In Let the Streets Run Red, we introduce a new old vampire called Walter Nash Mm -hmm. uh, as a reprehensible Ventru, Mm -hmm. who's new because he's never been in a book before. He's old because he's the Prince of Chicago in the very first set of Jihad, or Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Oh, okay. and yeah, he's a late addition to the book because when that scenario was initially written, that was Balthazar. That it was supposed to be Balthazar doing that. Mm-hmm. And the main reason we didn't go with Balthazar in the end, my thinking behind it was, I wanted the stories and let the streets run red to stand alone as much as possible, so that you didn't actually need Chicago by Night to run right. them. And I didn't want to reprint reprint a uh, block of traits, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in the end, that's why Walter Nash entered the scene. And history was somewhat written. Nice. Uh, that's cool, though. I mean, it's... But again, it shows, like, even if we're not talking about making games, we're making running games of your own, those kinds of constraints can really help with creativity. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so if you don't have access to a 30-year-old deck of cards like I do... Um, there's tons of random generators online that can give you just uh, story prompts or nouns or whatever. And again, by, by taking those pieces and then and trying to find ways to fit them together, it's really easy to make story hooks. Um, but I have found that creativity works best with some slight constraints because otherwise you get to kind of what you're talking about at the beginning, Matthew, where you have you know, this book I could do anything with. And so I feel like I could do nothing with it. Uh, whereas if it's the, here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing. Oh, okay, I could pick those that gravitate to me and, and speak to me and then turn those into an actual game. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so that is uh, Story Hooks. Uh, I think we, we, we did a good job with that. I think we finally talked through it, so a little late, nice, but we nice, got there. Nice long conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. A little bit, a little bit of uh, digression along the way, which is about right for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dixie, if people wanted to tell you about their Story Hooks, where would they find you online? I find most places on social media at Dixie Cyanide. You can find me on Discord, hanging out in the Onyx Pathcast channel on the OPP Discord. Uh, if you're not there, come hang out with us. It's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of our developers and writers are around. 
so please hang out in the discord uh but yeah that's 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 me hanging out hanging out speaking german speaking german yeah i i look forward to more of that uh, so you can find me on uh, matthewdawkins.com where you can contact me about all manner of things. You can also find me on the Onyx Path Discord and uh, also on Twitter at DawkinsMP. Uh, you can find me at uh, Pugsteady.com. You can find me on Twitter as at Pugsteady. Uh, you can find all of us at theonyxpath.com. As Dixie mentioned, you can find us on Discord. Uh, sometimes find us on the forums, but most of our, most of these we just hang out on Discord, I've found. So yeah, that's for those who can't get. find it, the Onyx Pathcast channel is under the general discussion tab. So oh, okay. if you need to find us, there's like general, there's off topic, fan art, just kind of like stuff that could apply to any of our games. And then we have the Onyx Pathcast channel. So come, come, come find us there. And um, it's been, it's been fun because uh, some folks have been, when this episode drops, I'll start listening and kind of posting comments as they listen along and we can kind of go, wait, I don't remember what we said two weeks ago. So what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I often try to make sure I'm in that channel between like noon and five off and on, 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 on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Just because there are people who listen to it pretty much immediately, and they'll start being like, "Oh, you're 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 talking about Star Wars droids," and I'm like, "Sure, I'll have a brief conversation about Star Wars droids. This is fun for me." So yeah. Yes, yes, our our, our assassin droid conversation was actually quite fun. <laughs> BD three. <laughs> so come hang out with us there. Um, it, it, we we generally have a good time there. Um, so uh, thank you for listening, and as always, many worlds, one pathcast.